Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, which covers the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive health startups and leaders. So you are listening to one of our first 20 episodes. So first of all, thank you so much for listening. As you can imagine with the podcast, they get more and more popular, which ours certainly did after episode 20. So we started giving proper introductions, long introductions, and we upgraded our equipment and everything like that. So that's why you're hearing from me now, because we're putting this at the start of every one of those first 20 episodes. So I am your host. My name is James Someru. I'm an anesthetics and intensive care doctor by background. So I practiced for five years. I did loads of different jobs in policy and leadership within the UK NHS. I've run two different health tech accelerators to help startups grow, access different markets in the UK and abroad. And now I'm a co-founder of HS and we build, scale and invest in the best health tech startups. So if you want to get in touch with us, then head on over to the description of this podcast. In there, you will find all of the links to our social media, website, emails, etc. So click on those, follow us, let us know what you think of the podcast and feel free to suggest any guests. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Connect with us. Let us know what you think. Welcome to the first episode of the HS podcast. We are going to be podcasting about digital health technology and everything to do with healthcare over the next series and few episodes. To give a bit of context, so um, HS is based in London in the UK, um, for anyone who might be listening outside of London. What we are about is basically accelerating digital health adoption into healthcare systems and helping anybody interested in health and technology scale their business. So we uh, essentially put together an accelerator and also an investment structure to help early stage companies in the digital health space scale um, and and do as well as they possibly can. We have got Nathan McNally, who is the talent lead for HS, Dr. James Somru, who is the co-founder and chief product officer for HS, and myself, Alex Young, the CEO of HS. So chaps. James, do you want to introduce yourself first and tell them a little bit about your background? Yep, cool. So uh, my name's James. I'm anaesthetics ITU doctor by background, so practiced clinically for five years. Um, when I was a doctor, I was always involved in kind of driving in digital solutions on the ground floor, so always kind of writing business cases and banging on chief exec stores and making a bit of a nuisance of myself um, on the hospital ground floor, trying to uh, get digital health solutions in and make change. So did that for, as I say, five years and then... Took a few years out, had a few roles in leadership and policy, so worked at NHS England, I worked at Health Education England on kind of workforce stuff, um, and also worked at the BMJ, so I had like a sales role um, and creating products at the BMJ as well. So then I went to go and run something called the Digital Accelerator, so basically an accelerator which... Um, provide startups with market access to the NHS. So did that for 18 months um, and then co-founded HX. So one of the things that we do a lot of is outreach to, to startup companies. We look a lot at the digital health space in general. We speak to, to everyone, from clinicians to patients. And one of the, the real key things is connecting with and finding the best health tech companies on the planet to bring into to the HS ecosystem. And to do that, um, we have got the very talented Mr. Nathan McNally. 
who is our talent lead, who reaches out to lots and lots of startups all the time. You can see him at multiple different events all around uh, London and online. Nathan's got an awesome background. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Hi, Alex. Thanks. Um, So originally, I've got a design background. Um, Worked in small companies, uh, managing small design teams and working to deadlines. And then joined Capital Enterprise, managing EU-funded projects to support the startup ecosystem. Done that for about four years. I've worked probably with about 15 to 20 accelerators within London, scaling probably about a 1,000 companies um, and helping them reach probably £150 million worth of investment in those four years. So weirdly, I'm sort of interviewing myself now. So my background basically is I did trauma orthopedic surgery in the NHS for around about nine years. I also built um, a what was an events company, uh, sold that when I was a medical student, and then have some uh, self-taught coding skills, um, which I made a web-based test prep platform for doctors and nurses, which ended up selling internationally into um, the Australian and US uh, markets in addition to uh, the UK and Europe, and did that kind of all around my clinical training. So um, was kind of coming back late night from on-call shifts or on my days off after night shifts, teaching myself how to code, made some absolutely terrible websites to begin with, um, and then they got slightly better, uh, better enough for people to actually pay and use quite regularly everything that we were offering. Um, and then left uh, the NHS uh, around about similar time to James, about 18 months ago, to found HS. And really, I think James has sort of mentioned um, some of the reasons why we, we did this um, around sort of the getting adoption of, of health tech directly to patients to improve patient outcomes at scale um, and, and to really sort of utilise technology and to help super talented founders who might have very, very specific deep technology backgrounds to apply that to, to solve some of healthcare's biggest problems. For me personally, on my own journey, I'd sort of done everything by myself. So it was lots and lots of trial and error. And then learning kind of from that, I didn't really have any sort of mentors when I was seeing it all around my clinical uh, training and was was literally sort of bootstrapping everything and um, was pretty lucky in, in the size that the company sort of got to. Um, so HS is very much about sort of providing an infrastructure to, to help people, I guess, a little bit like myself, but also from outside of healthcare and from patients who come up with super cool ideas um, that can tackle some of healthcare's biggest problems to streamline that into a sustainable business model and, and really try and um, make those healthcare companies as impactful um, and as big as they possibly can be. So James, going back to you, obviously we know each other very well. You've got quite a cool background with your family as well in the sort of entrepreneur space. Um, do you want to have a, talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, cool. So um, yeah, so, yeah, well, I got, got interviewed for this recently, actually, and someone said, yeah, you come from a long line of entrepreneurs. And I know, I've never really thought about it in that in that context, but actually it is quite true. Um, I guess it all started with uh, my grandfather. So I'm half from Mauritius, so my father's from Mauritius. Obviously, his father also from Mauritius. So my grandfather, growing up in Mauritius, when he was um, a relatively young boy, he inherited a... Uh, two-boat fishing fleet um, from his father. So they live on a small, uh, in a small village on the south coast of Mauritius called Mayburg or Mayborg. And yeah, so my grandfather's father had 
two small fishing boats. Um, and then my grandfather essentially, to cut a bit of a long story short, um, turned that into a 30-boat fishing fleet and uh, essentially put Mayberg or Mayborg on the map. Um, they fed the British Army during the Second World War, and it really helped kind of actually bolster the the economy for um, that small village, which then turned into essentially a little town. So that was my grandfather. Um, he's got plenty of other stories, as you can imagine, from Mauritius way back when. Um, one of which being he then went on to have 12 kids, 11 boys and a girl, one of whom was my father. Um, and he came over from Mauritius when he was 18. He saved up all his money, um, had saved 200 pounds, wrote to a load of nursing schools, actually, in England, um, got accepted into one. And yeah, when he, he saved up his 200 pounds, got a boat, which took him somewhere between two and three weeks. He can't quite remember. Um, landed on the shores of England, uh, became a nurse, uh, became a charge nurse on CCU, became actually a chief nursing officer. So I had kind of a leadership role in the NHS um, and then went on to found his own sort of nursing home business. Um, so he had a few different nursing homes and bought and sold those. Um, and then, yeah, he essentially now has moved and retired uh, and lives in the south of France. So good for him, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that that's super awesome. I didn't know the bit about your grandfather actually. Yeah. That's really cool. Um so yeah, I mean that that's proper um like entrepreneur one oh one, literally fishing and then scaling that. So you've got so no longer are you the kind of sole trader fisherman. You then got people working for you, and I'm sure he was probably in the end sitting on a beach Dude, watching all the stories of him Mauritius are literally uh, I've met the guy once and and he literally lived uh, lived up to exactly this so all the stories of him Mauritius are he just used to ride his bicycle around the paths and the beach and things he used to sit under a tree and play cards and that was how he managed his 30 boat fishing business basically um as CEO or I guess chair of the company by that stage that is amazing. I mean, that's actually quite quite like being an anaesthetist in an operating <laughs> theatre as well. Just just sort of sat at the head of the table, not doing yeah, a huge I'm amount. Yeah, that. Um, but, uh, I'm allowed yeah, to. Like, we keep people alive <laughs> while uh, you try and do other stuff. So, anyway, that's very cool. And what uh, I'm sure your you know your dad having been in you know worked in the NHS for a long period of time and obviously having come over from a completely different country and healthcare system. What was his uh, I guess yeah initial opinions of something like the NHS in the UK? Uh, which uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the NHS is, it's the National Healthcare System, uh, which is a, a, a free point of access uh, healthcare system in the UK provided by the taxpayer. And I mean, I, w I wonder what he sort of thinks about how the, the NHS has expanded, um, you know, over that time or changed, um, especially in the fact that it's sort of its 70th anniversary this year as well. Yeah, it's interesting, mate. I think, you know, bear in mind my dad is, um, I think, 74 now. So it's quite a long time when he came over and obviously heard about... Um, you know, becoming a nurse in the NHS. But even back then, I think that bit hasn't changed about the fact that it is known globally as one of, if not the best health service. So that is obviously what um, brought him over to the UK and the fact that he obviously wanted to um, be involved from a sort of a clinician perspective. So, yeah, that's essentially what brought him on. And then he, I mean, he, he, I could go on for ages about the stories that he tells about the NHS back in the day and the differences now. Um but essentially what he said was, particularly in nursing, um, if you had ambitions beyond just being a clinician and you wanted to do other things, you essentially either went into management or you went into teaching and he chose management. Um, and then 
basically rose the ranks and and went into the kind of the local health authority structure and or SHAs and you know he has seen pretty much every restructure of the NHS all the way down and to be honest mate it just comes down to the to the basics which is ultimately that the back end and the management can change it can do what it likes everybody's trying to essentially just make patient care better and I think that's what underpins the whole thing and yes some restructures are good and some obviously bad and that you know things can be different but ultimately the, the, the constant in the whole thing is change but um at the at the management end but i guess the constant on the ground floor is that ultimately everybody is there to to be benefiting patient care so that's that's essentially i guess the the similarities and differences over time yeah 100 percent. and and again for those who don't know anything about the nhs i'll just give you some stats so it was founded on july the 5th 1948 um it was launched at um, Trafford General Hospital, um, which was up in, obviously up in Manchester, for those of you who don't know the UK. Um, and the kind of key principles of what it set out to do was that the health service would be freely available to all and financed entirely by taxation, um, which means that people pay into it according to their means, was the original charter that they set out. Um, now, at HS, we obviously like the, the NHS um, a lot, but if you are a uh, any sort of company, um, you don't want to just be selling into to one area, one territory. And one of the sort of key things we do at HS is we look at scaling globally and internationally into different markets, into private healthcare sectors, into insurers, uh, into everything surrounding healthcare, so that the actual companies who do uh, deliver impact to the patients, which is obviously the most important thing, are sustainable and generating revenue and can increase that revenue year on year to become potentially healthcare unicorns is, is what we're going for here. Um, so Nathan, with your background, um, having seen you know thousands of companies through your um, your previous roles and positions, what what do you think is I, I guess as a, a non-medic as well, what do you think um, are some of sort of the most disruptive technologies that you've seen? you know, potentially in general um, from some cool companies that come out and particularly looking at health tech as well? Um, so the ones that are actually embedding tech into practices that are kind of day-to-day, so digital stethoscopes, um, handheld um, scanners, um, these bring kind of algorithms and machine learning to the point of the patient, speeds up care, speeds up diagnosis, and actually provides a better service to the patient because doctors can then focus on the patient and focus on the care. 100%. So speeding up kind of, you know, your point of care diagnostics and, and triage and management. So I think there was a, a couple of things that have been published. I mean, stuff's being published about AI and healthcare all the time, but a couple of things have been published this week around, uh, you know, actual savings uh, on time and, and improved efficiency of integrating um, machine learning tech into everything from sort of triaging and and um, moving uh, sort of image and diagnostics from, from GPs into hospital settings. Um, to basically speed up and streamline the entire diagnostic process. Um, I mean, that that's super cool indeed. And again, I guess from, you know, from your quite unique background of seeing all these companies, one of the, you know, the key sort of pillars that we have at HS is it doesn't really matter about the idea, um, about what you're, you know, what you think you're building and how you think that's going to change uh, the world or the healthcare system for patients. We look primarily at the founding team. 
Um, so we want sort of deep tech founders. Uh, that's who we um, will will fund and will support. Um, so we want people who can create defensible IP that's very unique, um, that's going to completely disrupt and change the existing sort of status quo. Uh, so from from your background of sort of reviewing and speaking to lots and lots of founders in particular what are some of the sort of best founder characteristics that, that you've sort of seen in people and, and what makes you say okay yeah we we want to put some money into that company um over another one that might have a similar idea so yeah it's all it's all about the founders but then that that expands to the team um it's got to be multidisciplinary um preferably two co-founders um to kind of spread the load um ideally a tech founder that can deal with the tech side so you can build in-house you can sprint you can pivot you can build quickly um and then a business person that can actually build a business around the product that they're building the fundamentals is who's the customer who you're actually going to sell it to who's going to be using it so having that focus and that speed to build around your customer feedback as well is very important you know if we see loads and loads of companies and i've worked uh, you know I've, I've got sort of i'm kind of a bit of a weird mix of a tech founder and then also sort of ceo domain person as well so i think you know definitely if you can build the tech yourself it's going to allow you to save a significant amount of money um and to actually sort of get on and do things much more quickly um so again just sort of speaking i guess from my my own background where i created all of our um, sort of technology myself, my previous companies. The the benefits to me personally was that there was very minimal actual sort of outgoing costs there. So there was no, didn't have to outsource anything, didn't have to hire um, sort of an outsourced tech development team or anything like that. Um, the only sort of expenditure was upfront in, in sort of, I guess, you know, teaching myself um, just through trial and error, um, how to code, how to make apps, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I think in the society we live now where you can easily, you know, either download a, a Udemy course or, or watch that, at a, you know, really, really cheap, like sort of 15 bucks and then just have a go and learn. That is an investment for a founder personally, especially someone who's just starting off in this um, is, is, in my opinion, you know, one of the best things you can do, even if, you know, you don't take that or particularly enjoy doing it to, a, to you know, a significantly high level at least that will give you then some insight into the tech. So if you do um, having knowledge of, of what you want uh, specifically in a technical co-founder is absolutely key. So if you just have a general overview of technology from reading, say, a, a newspaper or a, uh, a technology magazine or listening to a podcast like this, it's going to be really difficult for you to compare your CTAs when you're meeting them. Um, but if you've actually you know, taken the time to, to get in and, and use some of the, the software that they might use or, or understand some of the languages that they code in, you'll soon be able to see who, who is really, really good and who isn't. And then going forward from that, it just means your team communication is going to be so much better and so much faster um, if you can appreciate what the other person is, is potentially struggling with or, or what some of the issues might be. Um, because otherwise, there's effectively a language barrier if, if you don't understand, uh, you know, some of the, the, the sort of key things behind, uh, you know, machine learning, uh, natural language processing, AI, or even just sort of web development and app development. So, so that would be my kind of like two cents on that. And that's one of the reasons we look for a really strong sort of technical co-founder. Uh, in a team combined with someone who's um, sort of operations level as well. James, what what are your sort of thoughts on um, people sort of, I guess, outside of um, 
uh, healthcare because healthcare is obviously such a specific thing to, to spot and find a problem. And um, you know, for us as doctors, there's a there's a ton of problems that we sort of see every single day. How do you think someone who is a, a doctor or a, a domain expert um, should go about finding, you know, sort of finding a technical co-founder um, and, and going about solving the problem and building a company? And equally, how about someone who is an amazing tech co-founder at, say, a data science course at a university or um, a college? How can they go about applying their skills to, to solve a healthcare problem? Okay, mate. So basically, what, what this comes down to, so whether you're a doctor, whether you're outside or, or whatever it is, you, you just got to think really basic initially. What it comes down to is asking yourself three questions, which are, what problem do you solve? So if, you, so if you've got an idea, right, if you've got an idea to do something or, you know, you've experienced healthcare in some way or, or let's say you're a clinician on the inside, you've just got to think, what problems you solve and you've got to be really 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 simple on that so you've got to be able to articulate what problem do you solve really really clearly and quickly the next bit is the difficult bit which is whose problem is that that's always the tough bit in healthcare and that's where if you're from outside healthcare that's where you'll really need either a co-founder who exists within it and understands it or an organization such as ours that will actually help you and guide you through to find out whose problem that is because actually that person becomes your customer um and the third question is figuring out how they're going to pay for it um seems like quite simple if you're not from healthcare but you know we've talked about the nhs just now and you know the nhs does not have um plenty of disposable cash to just deploy on things that are nice to have so you've got to sort of create a market and then sell into it which is really tough so it's it comes down to those three questions right so figure out what problem you solve figure out who the customer is or figure out whose problem you actually solve and then figure out how they're going to pay for it. And if you need help with any of that stuff, that is exactly the reason that, you know, we exist as HS essentially. Right. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, practically as well for all that kind of stuff, I think going back to what we were talking about just a, a few seconds ago, you know, again, if you've got a good founding sort of tech team, you can mock up an MVP around some of your founder assumptions quite quickly. But the most important thing is going at the earliest stage possible. So even sort of pre-product, every idea just going and speaking to to some of these sort of deal makers um some of the people who either control the budgets or even um you know some physicians themselves or patients and finding out what the, their key yeah, problems totally. are and look, and look, um, it comes down to it comes down to as you say i mean what you're talking about is customer feedback um it's, it's always difficult to figure out who the customer is but you're absolutely right you just need to get out there and get asking people immerse yourself entirely within the problem and immerse yourself within the entire community that feels that problem or is adjacent to it literally get feedback from absolutely anyone however the only caveat to that is that you should always listen to feedback but you should not listen to all of the feedback whilst you might think right. okay yeah i've got a problem that affects clinicians therefore i'm going to ask three clinicians and if all three say yes it's a great idea and i should go through with it actually that isn't the case simply because those three clinicians might well have a problem solved by this idea that you've got but it comes down to asking other people like people who would actually pay for it um again i think i think one of the biggest problems that you know we see through the applications alex and you've, you've obviously seen this in, in yourself nathan that when people have these ideas they they might have re got that detailed feedback from people that actually would feel a benefit from it which is fine they'll just go to 
clinicians, doctors, nurses, etc., and they'll say, oh, yeah, this is absolutely great. However, it's really expensive to build. They haven't asked the people that would actually pay for it, and that's where it gets really difficult, and that's why you know, the best teams have figured out a way to actually go and get that feedback um, and sort of immerse themselves in it. Well, that's why on the on the application process, we we have a challenge of going out and asking 100 stakeholders. Yeah. So not just the users, not just the people that are going to pay, but the whole funnel. Um and we see some some ideas completely pivot in that week to yeah. weeks. We ask for them to get that feedback, and that's the reason why you do it. Right. I mean, I, th- I think you know it's it's so important because, I mean, the number of companies that James you've seen or, or I've seen or Nathan you've seen um, around who, who've sort of gone with an idea and they've got quite far down the line. Some have got some to seed or potentially even Series A level funding, but actually they're still sort of pre-revenue and they're pre-revenue because they're not really solving a, a problem that people are going to actually buy something for so it might be a problem that as you're saying james you know it's, it's for a select group of people but there's a big difference between creating something that is helpful to someone and something that someone's going to bite your hand off and actually pay money for and in healthcare obviously one of the big things and one of the important things that also health tech companies should be looking at as a health economics case around if your business model is on saving money for a, um, a healthcare provider an institution you can then sort of discern how you're going to draw some finance from from that saved cash essentially what are your what, what are your thoughts on that james you've obviously seen a you know a lot of people who have yeah i mean health economics again I, I keep it quite simple in in the initial bit so when you do something in healthcare, because we're dominated by the NHS in the UK, because we're dominated by this public healthcare system, which is obviously funded by the Department of Health and therefore ultimately the taxpayer, what it basically comes down to is that if you're going to try and get something into the NHS market, it needs to save money. Okay, so what it needs to do is it needs to take a process that's already there, that's already costing a certain amount, and it needs after this new product goes in, that whole system needs to now cost less. Okay. So that's what it comes down to in the NHS. And that's why building a a good case for exactly what those numbers are is really useful because then the person who actually buys the product can see that if they pay this small amount, they will save loads down the line. That's essentially what we mean by a health economics case. It's not particularly complex. It doesn't have to be particularly complex in the initial stage. You could literally just build a small little model for one department even. you could, And that could be as simple as saying, you know, it costs this department X, it will save Y over Z amount of time therefore it's useful and that's a, that's a decent health economics case for that department now you can obviously then make it more complicated because you can then scale that up to what would it be if it looked like that across the entire hospital entire trust or the entire region or ccg like clinical commissioning group um all these things i'm sure we'll go into detail on in, in different podcasts but essentially that's essentially what what a health economics case is it's just building a case like that around what you're doing now as we talked about, there's far more than just the NHS because when you think about, you know, the B to C, so straight to consumers, so straight to to essentially customers, like you know the, the the normal population, you can sell there. It can still save money down the line to the NHS because if you sell, let's say, a product like Sleepio, perfect example, you know, it's an app which anybody can in the population can download, but it actually helps people sleep, which then prevents chronic conditions and it makes people recover from disease better. Therefore, these people don't then access healthcare. So Sleepio could also have a very good health economics case for what they do. So 
yeah, multifaceted, but health, health economics cases in summary, yeah, really important, but they don't have to be that complicated. Yeah, so I mean, Salifo is a good example. So I mean, we're going to be, um, you know, name dropping and um, going through a, a number of different healthcare companies, both who, are, who you know, we, we've seen directly and then some uh, some other companies in the UK and the US uh, on, on other podcasts, but just quickly on Salifo, again, super awesome company. So Pete Hames obviously was a patient himself. Um, suffering from insomnia and then went to um, one of the professors of, of um, sort of sleep studies um, at Oxford University and then they came up with that so again you know looking at the actual founding team super super strong founding team there they've got a domain expert they've got a technical expert and then they got uh, you know some great backers at a very early stage like forward partners in the UK um, and then took their product out to out to the uh, the US, um, which is again is exactly what we we sort of recommend all of our uh, you know consumer facing products do. They're now based out in, in San Francisco and they've got a very nice model um, where they uh, sell via sort of the insurance private healthcare providers out there, um, which which enables sort of pa- uh, patients to benefit from uh, from what their app provides, which has all been research validated as well, which is super awesome. Um, which again we'll talk about in further podcasts. Now I think it's probably you know just briefly worth mentioning just off off the sleep example I think one of the big things we're seeing at the moment and, and one of the exciting things and why we're um, you know super excited and passionate about the the digital health space in general is that you know over the last sort of seven years has been an unprecedented amount of investment into healthcare there was a recent Forbes article that shown that you know 2018 is shaping up to be the biggest year yet there's been 135 investments in the US um, which have have gone on to sort of huge, huge um, investments and valuations of the companies that those investments have been into. And at the beginning of this year, we've also seen Boxer Hathaway, Amazon, JP Morgan all sort of coming together to look at their employee direct-to-consumer health benefits. And one of the things that we are very passionate about is obviously impact on two patients. What do you guys think about how can, how can I guess, startup founders or, or companies make sure that they're actually building something that patients want. Um, our tagline at HS is create something patients love. But how can people go about sort of involving patients in, in what they're building as well as healthcare providers? I think it's simple as that, mate. You've just got to involve them early. You know, one of the th- as, as you well know, one of the things that we do is, is obviously connect with um, medical research charities so that we've got access to patient groups. We connect with patient groups directly and it literally is as simple as that. They are often the end user for all this stuff so it's just about engaging them early getting the feedback on um and i'm sure nathan can talk about ux ui design and how important that is yeah you could make the best app that does everything but can the user use it so you've got to get in there early and create it for the user and what sort of things you know when when you're looking at something like you know your user-centric design for for patients what are some of the you know what's your what's your sort of design sprint around that so if someone's got so if you know someone comes to you with a uh, with an app that they've, they've mocked up themselves based on some of their founder assumptions what what's your sort of first step with making sure that the you know the actual end user i.e the patient for digital health companies how, how do you know that's actually going to be effective and they're going to, they're going to enjoy the US? So I, I would strip it right back and just focus on the user journey. So um, it could even be as simple as a few sketches, give it to a patient and see if they understand the user journey and get to where you want them to get to. You could even mock up a digital app using a UX uh, kind of like sketch or something um, and actually get them to to press and go through and the slides to see where they get to and you'll find that they'll press a button trying to get to somewhere where they're not supposed to go or they're not wanting to go and you'll just be able to see firsthand 
what's working and what's not working. It's so true. I mean, so I've seen this in hackathons as well, where, you know, people might be hacking to, you know, develop an app for someone with, I don't know, arthritis, let's say. Um, and it, you know, it, they've got loads of features in there and it, you know, <laughs> and the buttons are just really small. So if they've got arthritis of the thumb, all of a sudden they can't actually use the app. And it, it, it's that sort of thing. You know, similarly with people with dementia, they need bright colors, big buttons, really simple, no more than sort of two or three buttons on a single screen max. And it's all these things that you learn by just literally engaging them early and just and just building it with them. You know, we talk about code development all the time, be that with a customer, i.e. a hospital or anything like that. But even with patients themselves, you know, co-developing this stuff with, with those people around the table just means that you're actually building for the people that use it and the people that buy it, which is absolutely perfect. And again, that's why it's good to have a domain expert because they'll have yeah. the background research and background insight of that user. So if you have a someone that's worked with dementia patients for, for 10 years, mm. they'll know these things instinctive, instinctively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's absolutely spot on. I mean, I was just thinking then one of the, the things that I um, just saw recently coming out of the US um, is actually a, a, a research application into um, schizophrenia and mental health where the researchers had actually, uh, based on some of the feedback from the schizophrenia patients, they'd used essentially a kind of like a, a sketch tool where they could, they could sort of rub their um, thumb and fingers basically over the screen that made sort of different colours. And that sort of, the, you know, the research then showed that they were more relaxed when they were doing that if they were, um, you know, really sort of struggling with with some of the mental mm. health problems. Um, so again, you know, that's a really good example of, of kind of listening directly to, to your user and implementing stuff that they want, uh, which might not have otherwise been apparent. And I think just to, because obviously we may, uh, we almost certainly will have lots of sort of people from outside of the, the digital health space listening to this so um if you're thinking why on earth are you guys talking about digital health rather than something like fintech just to give you sort of an idea of what's been going on from the investment side in 2018 so in q3 2018 there's been 3.3 billion uh, venture funding invested into digital health companies for the whole of 2018 that's totaling 6.8 billion um, and again, like I said earlier, that's from about 135 investments in the U.S. alone. And you'll also, I mean, what we've also seen in, in the U.S. is a lot of the regulatory bodies like the FDA approving a significant, um, significantly larger number of um, healthcare companies, especially in the AI space. So there's a big push earlier this year to get artificial intelligence algorithms like Nathan was talking about earlier really approved by the regulatory body so that they can be rolled out to patients. So there's been 31 approvals uh, in digital so far in the US alone. And there's been you know, a significant number of follow-on investments in some quite big companies, including 23andMe, um, Peloton. It's a really sort of exciting time to be in digital health. We obviously are, are um, helping to support early stage companies. So that's everyone kind of, I guess, up to and, and around seed stage. Um, we are looking for people from anywhere in the world, um, not just in the UK, although we ourselves are based in London. So we can probably talk a little bit about, I guess, our application process and and what, you know, what we look through, look, look for and how we score people. I think we'll probably do a podcast on, on really sort of helping people to understand the application and, and the interview process because that will be sort of super helpful um, for people applying. But I think in the interim, just, you know, what's what's a quick, I guess, overview uh, from you guys? You know, what are we looking for? How's the how's the application process work if I'm a, a health tech founder or just someone with a an idea or with some awesome tech skills? 
wanting to get into to digital health? Yeah, so three-stage application process, um, really simple online form to begin with. Um, on there, we're looking for, you know, typical founder characteristics. Um, so, you know, product examples of productivity, um, resilience, um, creativity, the entrepreneurial flair or track record, things like that. We then filtered down. We have a second round Skype interview. Um, Skype interview, you're going to get grilled. You're going to get really tested on um, if it's an idea you've got, you'll get grilled on that. If it's a skill set that you've got, you'll get grilled on that. Um, and then beyond that, uh, there is an in-person interview. And between round two and round three, we set you a challenge. So that challenge, as Nathan said earlier, might be to reach out to loads of customers and try and get 100 um, customer feedback reports. It could be finding out, testing your skill set, essentially, to, to build something. Um, it could be setting up websites and getting subscribers onto mailing lists. It could be lots and lots of different things, and that's essentially to test where we feel there might be gaps. Or Essentially, it's always something that will help your business because we absolutely do not want to be wasting anybody's time so that's in between round two and three and then round three is a far more relaxed more like a vc um investor meeting um whereby we will essentially talk about you know what you're expected to put in um what you can expect to get out um and essentially just obviously a final final grilling to see if you're relevant for for us what can some of these sort of companies expect when they come on to the the program I and mean, what are some of the um uh, metrics i guess that that you know what we're doing actually works yeah i mean everything that we do is utterly bespoke um what we've done is we've completely diversified you know the clinical areas that we work in we've completely diversified the technologies that we accept um and so we work on the hypothesis that actually the biggest problem that we solve is access to customers and that's both to validate the ideas and then to sell into. Um, so what essentially we have built is an ecosystem to facilitate that. So we obviously have corporates um, at the top end and investors. We have obviously our deal flow of startups from health tech communities and universities and things like that. And in the middle, we have tracks within HS to specifically help with validation, product development, um, acquiring funding and then obviously selling and scaling. So what you can expect is a long session initially where your needs are mapped out. Um, inevitably, there's always a known unknown. So we like to have a long session to uncover those um, in, in order for us to help you in ways that you didn't think you actually needed help. Um, we set you up with work streams. Um, and then it's all about essentially accountability Um driving through um, you hitting metrics. So we have a tech platform that we use. The startups will, on our cohorts will fill in. They'll track their metrics. Their pitch decks will be updated. All of that stuff is then visible by us as a core team and obviously the startups themselves. And what we absolutely love as startups that have focused metrics every single week um, that they are holding themselves accountable to, that they are obviously showing us so that we can hold them accountable too um, and then get in touch um, as and when they need to in order to hit those metrics and, and essentially blast through them. So that's essentially how the program's set up. 
obviously we've been going since April, so we've had 13 starts with my cohort for quite a while now. Yeah, I was just I was just looking through. Um, so we've had we've we've just internally done. So we obviously track our own metrics, um, and and I think the other important thing to say about the company metrics is actually the you know the week on week and month on month growth of all those metrics. So whether they're tracking revenue, whether they're tracking um, daily active users, whether they're tracking um you know it's some sort of impact or, or outcomes you know we want to see growth in those we don't want to see companies that are stagnating so that's really important i think for us as well so we we use the same sort of software again that we've created to track everything we've doing so uh, we've done so yeah i was just looking through some of the the metrics that have come back from that um sort of this week so i think when the the cohort started on the program the valuation was 6.6 million um, that's now gone up to 14.4 million the that first cohort that you spoke about to raise 1.6 million 465 um thousand pounds revenue generated 23 business to business partnerships that have been signed off nine contracts worth a total of 64,000 uh, pounds signed uh, within the duration of the program loads of other metrics including eight new jobs created seven new products four prizes um including some super awesome international ones actually as well and then most importantly an estimated thirty thousand patients um benefited through through the sort of increased user base um and i think also important to say on that you know we've we've had a um a really sort of broad spread of companies so we've had some some that have uh, already got some funding that have already had users but we've also had some founders who've come with an idea that then we completely changed and they didn't have any business that was formed and they pretty much came as individuals and then we've sort of helped them build that company which has been one of the definitely one of the most rewarding things for me which again you know we'll deep dive into all of these sort of companies when they come on the podcast and we'll we'll interview them that's that that's kind of uh you know i was just reading through that actually before i was sort of super impressed myself and what, what what are you guys sort of thinking about 2019 um, for for health the healthcare space? Do you think this is all a bubble at the moment and we're going to collapse, uh, or what what are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I do not think that. Um, I, I mean, as you said, you know, you look at what Forbes was said, you look at what um, all the informatics is showing is that you know Nathan said it earlier when we were chatting actually that you know we're we're really riding the crest of a wave here. It's only going to get bigger and better. You know, the more people that are coming to healthcare now, as you said, opposed to fintech, we're, we're dragging in talent, we're attracting far more investment now because people want to make impact. And I think we're seeing that on a much wider scale now. Um, add to that the amount of money that is, as you say, being being poured in from the investment community that we're really creating some really good infrastructure around health and health tech. So I only see it increasing and getting better. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been talking to to trusts and universities, and everyone has a focus of breaking down the barriers of adoption. There's loads of legislation, loads of guidelines coming in to work with SMEs to innovate, and yeah, there's real buy-in from every level at the moment. So hopefully, um, as James said, I said, uh, yeah. a crest <laughs> of a wave. Um, and hope hopefully it's a tidal wave and and just keep increasing. Even at government level as well, like. You know, there's the there's the life sciences industrial strategy that came out, which basically is, is essentially mandating, you know, think, think everything from t- the teaching of entrepreneurship to um, facilitating all these different innovation zones and things like that, all within life sciences itself. And that's coming from, from top down in government. So, um, yeah, well, as I say, it's it's not only interest and, and, and investment, it's actually, you know, infrastructure that's coming down from government level. So, yeah, we're in a really good place. What we, so going forwards on these podcasts, we will have um, a com- either a company or we will have an investor or a patient or someone 
with a unique insight who will be very entertaining um, to speak to for you know 45 minutes to an hour. And then what we'll, what we'll do is we'll, we'll get them sort of sharing their opinion, um, sharing some cool stories, sharing some insights that are going to help potential future um, founders in, in the digital health space, but then also helping update and educate everybody else who, who's interested in this space or, or even people who might not be interested yet uh, and pulling them into it. And then certainly when we have the companies on, uh, one of the big things that we sort of teach them from a sort of a sales point of view and a, an entrepreneur point of view is, is making sure you have an ask of people. So that might be, buy my product it might be i want you to uh, you know help me develop the product um, if they're at an early stage or have something that you're asking people for so at the end of each podcast what we're going to do is finish by getting the entrepreneurs to put a, an ask out to all of the potential listeners uh, because i'm sure we will have people listening who who may well be able to help some of the companies or who may well be able to uh, you know get in touch with with some of the vcs or the patients or the clinicians we have on board so with that in mind um mr mcnally as talent lead for hs what would you like to say to anyone, you know, potentially thinking about either applying to uh, to HS? When's the next call open? Um, what would you recommend they do? So the call should be open in the next few weeks. Um, so what we now mid-October, so near the end of October. Anyone with an idea or a startup business that's building out now, anyone that has tech that maybe could pivot to benefit the healthcare system, I would say get in touch because um, we could always find um, a use case for the technology. Again, it's, it's about the technology and, and getting that technology adopted to, to help the healthcare system. Population's only growing and growing older, um, so there's a real need for, for the tech to enable the healthcare system. So thank you guys all for listening. Um, we will be rolling out a series of probably around about 10 podcasts for the initial run, um, all focusing on specific things that... Uh, we'll hope to basically educate, uh, but then also help founders, um, help healthcare providers, uh, help investors also to kind of understand the the whole sort of ecosystem, both in the UK and globally. Um, and we're going to have some national uh, people coming on to the, the podcast. So it's not just about talking about the NHS, as we've done a little bit to give you an idea about our backgrounds. It's really looking at uh, healthcare at a global level. And to sign off, our sort of tagline is we build, scale and invest in the best health tech companies on the planet. So as Nathan was saying, if you think that applies to you as an existing company or as a founder, uh, particularly tech founders, we would like to hear from you. And our website is www.hs.live. We'll see you next time.